Does Biden or do Biden and company assume that when they announce some additional sanctions like we just heard about in the news at the top of the hour, uh, that he's going to be uh, putting tighter sanctions on top of the not-so-tight sanctions yesterday. This would be on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, the same one that yesterday the German government said, okay, they didn't say, by the way, they canceled it. It got reported like that, but no, it was they're basically putting it on hold. So Biden's doing the same thing today. Is that a surprise to Putin? Do they think that's, like, ooh, now he's really going to back off? U.S. officials, I'm looking at a lot of different video on this right now, a lot of the monitors here. U.S. officials says Putin's ready for full-scale invasion. He could also be not ready for a full-scale invasion. He could be just doing rope-a-dope on this and just, again, seeing how far he can go. So, yeah, Biden says that there are Nord Stream 2 pipe, pipeline sanctions. Like, we're not going to let you build that if you keep doing this, Vladimir. And meanwhile, don't don't look at our country here in the U.S. We're killed off not only the Keystone XL pipeline, but also in conjunction with a lot of governors across the nation, said, you know, let's just not do fossil fuel anymore. Let's, let's not, you know, let's, let's ban uh, exploring and, and extracting fossil fuels, oil and gas from federal lands. And meanwhile, it's like, uh, well, sorry, the gas prices are going up. I mean, if Putin invades one level or another, you think prices are high now. I just what's weird about this is there's it seems like every minute there's some other new thing from the White House saying, hey, 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 it's it's going to be you better you, you uh, Ukraine people, you better watch out because we're they can do that back channel. They can do that with the government. Why are they going to the national media and international media? I, a part of that's to to, I guess they think, scare Putin, who's not scarable, I don't think, unless you really get to it. Maybe. uh Talk about this this SWIFT network where all the financial matters are being done around the world. Russia's on that, too. If you turn that off, that would be a lot of pain that he would have a hard time defending politically at home. So uh, it's now passed. I mean, this is the big thing. Now, Biden imposes new sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Well, a day late. Again, Germany did that yesterday. More on all this. We'll talk to Ron B., National security correspondent uh, and expert on this coming up here. Also, Kevin Kiley, who got preempted, uh, state of someone who got uh, preempted by Biden in this hour yesterday here on the Mark Larson Show. Mark Larson here, by the way. Good to have you with us. 800-765-362. San Diego's Talk, AM 760. I was talking about my buddy Bob Beckel. And every time we had Bob Beckel on the show, and you remember him most famously from The Five on Fox News, those are the really the best years in The Five. Um but he, uh, when he would come on the show here, invariably I have the people who figured out that he was a lovable, almost always wrong on politics, but lovable guy. I loved him like a brother. And to hear that he had passed away uh, on Monday at age 73 with a lot more mileage than, I mean, he'd been through a lot of stuff. But as a friend for many years, I mean, he was like a brother to me. And and he to me. And, and, and now if he was here with us, he'd be laughing his you-know-what off about the fact that that he doesn't have to pay off the big dinner that he owed me next. And he said so on the show last last time he was on, about four weeks ago or so. But about Bob, there are things you didn't know about Bob, because there are also people who would say, why do you have him on? He just irritates me. Now, he's one of those guys you kind of love to hate, just like the far lefties love to hate me, but they still love me. That's fun, because then you can have a conversation. You can discuss. Bob knew his politics. He's often wrong on it. But he knew he knew the strategy. He knew political history. He was the youngest campaign manager back for uh, Walter Mondale back in the 80s. Mondale didn't do well versus Reagan. 
But the backstory was Bob, because he had such great success early on, he was doing the wine, women's song, every kind of drug you can imagine. He was drinking like a fish beyond what fish can drink. And and he wrote a book about it, which is still available. In fact, I have my copy that Bob gave me right here. I, I went to the office and picked it up yesterday and just was reading more of this last night and kind of laughing and crying at the same time. It's called I Should Be Dead. And the subhead is uh, My Life Surviving Politics, TV, and Addiction. He was very, very open and on this show over the years about his uh, battles with alcohol and a lot more. Uh, here's an excerpt when he was managing uh, and working with Walter Mondale, who was a really good man. When, when he was, Bob was on with me when Mondale passed away, what, last year? I mean, Mondale was a different kind of Democrat. He was unabashed liberal, but he also wasn't like Ocasio-Cortez out there crazy. Here's one thing Bob wrote about those times. He said, uh, this is in that campaign, and they thought Reagan was vulnerable. By this time, I was drinking heavily. I mean heavily, and it got progressively worse through the rest of the campaign. He said, um... Pressure was so unbelievably intense, the only medicine I knew to take to calm down was booze. Kept a bottle of booze in my desk at all times. I wasn't drunk drunk, but I was drunker during the day than I'd been in a long time. At night, Katie barred the door. He said, I'd get loaded and sleep with any woman I could get my hands on. We had a third-floor apartment on Wisconsin Avenue in the building that housed Mondale headquarters, and that became my secret tryst site. By day, I was doing my level best to to get a deeply honorable man elected to the presidency. By night, I was in a vat of unbridled drunken debauchery. He told me a story once, and I had one of my kids back with me in, in New York. We went to dinner out of the many times. I think I paid for that one, come to think of it. Then, I went, then it was his turn. But he was giving a lesson on how to know when you have warning signals in your life. And he tells this story about how one weekend in that era, he had all this money going. He's, just, he's rolling in it as a political whiz kid back in the 80s. Big-time Democrat strategist star. He, he picks up this woman, and uh, they, uh, they hit it off. They're having a great time. He says, hey, let's go to Paris for the weekend. I think it was Paris because it was the Concorde, and that was late. So anyway, they get the seats on the Concorde, which were never cheap. You know, the supersonic thing. Got over there in a quick amount of time. So with all of that, he tells about the you know just nonstop debauchery all weekend, and there's cocaine, and there's all this kind of stuff, and it's just nonstop spenderama. He then he says after that, and jaws are hanging open, you know, people hearing the story. They are saying, you know, he, you're just shocked at that point, and he says, and we get back to New York, I think it was, or Washington, might have been Washington, it was New York, and he said that the. Uh, that the woman who had spent all this time with him and barely any sleep, they were just busy on all fronts and having the wonderful time of their lives and remembered some of it if they could. And she says, thank you so much for a wonderful weekend. What was your name again? That's when Bob knew one of the times was like, okay, I think I need to do things differently. So he got into AA and for the rest of his life, even when he was going through medical challenges, all kinds of other things, Bob Beckel was in the middle of the night, often called out, he would hear from somebody else who was going to fall off the wagon, somebody who had been where he was, and he would go out, never made a big deal about it. I knew about it. We talked about it. He writes about some of that in his book. He would go out to help people off the ledge, if you will, when they were at the same place he did. He did that consistently. He helped people in all kinds of ways, as opposed to being you know, one of these, uh, you know, 
I'll, I'll just say this, you know, liberals who, who, and they're conservatives too, who talk and don't really do anything. But, you know, liberals a lot of times will just say, I, I think we should do this and it's all compassionate. Then they say, I think you should pay for it. Bob stepped up and did what he was preaching on his own. And it was, uh, it was phenomenal the way he did that. And he was a real deal. And we had him on the show last time, but I don't know, it was four or five weeks ago. He said he was feeling better than he'd felt in years. So uh, there's some talk. Maybe it was a heart attack that hit him. I mean, Lord, Lord help us. That's not COVID. I hope that it's, oh, it's COVID. He had a lot of underlying conditions, but he was quite a guy. And you knew that, Mike, when you were just, just talking with him. He always got to be there. And Yep. Yeah. By the way, Ned, your buddy Ned up there. Oh, Ned is. Not uh, Ned Flanders. Ned is briefing. He said what they did with the pipeline was uh, strict, resolute action. Oh, the action that Germany was did resolute. Yesterday. This guy, he's. I'm feeling less secure than Ned Price, the nitwit State Department spokesman, who's out there now. We remain open to diplomacy. Swift, decisive, resolute, huh? Gang that couldn't shoot straight. By the way, there's also a great story that Bob details. Maybe I'll, I'll save this for later in the hour. And we've talked about it but, it, but the way he wrote it about when he knew Mondale was going to lose and a Reagan campaign commercial inspired him so much that he's standing in his boxer shorts and then realized it was for the opponent. It's a hysterical story. I'll, I'll share that at the end of the show today because I want to do a little more tribute to uh, Robert G. Bob Beckel, famous on The Five. And if you get a copy of it, you can find it. It's on, I think it's on Kindle. It's also... Sometimes available in paperback and hardcover. It's been out for about six or seven years. I Should Be Dead, Bob Beckel's book, My Life Surviving Politics, TV, and Addiction. Uh, you owe it to yourself to read that. But he was a heck of a guy, and I told him once I would take a bullet for him, and I meant it. And uh, he will be missed a lot. San Diego's Talk, AM 760. With iHeart, you can discover music, radio, and podcasts you'll love all in one absolutely free app. If you're not one of the tens of millions who have the app, well, get with it. Please, we love you. It's free. You can download it for free. It's free. The iHeart Radio app. Get it today. Start listening. How much is it? That would be free. There's no handling charge. There's no mysterious, you know, shipping and handling gotcha. No salesman will come. Well, anyway, it's no, there's it's totally free without encumbrance. It's a big word. Look it up. It's not like news without encumbrance in real time. So get this uh, in the App Store or full stop, full stop at 760radio.com. I wish Ned Price would stop right now. He's did the more he talks, the more new sanctions are just the beginning. Cheryl Ackerson, who's one of the more clear thinking, great people in the media, she used to work for CBS. She's doing her own thing in a lot of different alternative networks now. She just tweeted this and I retweeted it. Our government and some of its officials have routinely put out so much disinformation and false info for quite some time on many topics, it's hard to know who to trust or believe. Can I get a witness? Uh-huh. State Department briefing as Biden imposes new sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Ned, Ned Price said that was resolute. Germany did it yesterday, but okay. Ron B. is with us, a national security expert. He, here in San Diego, with the international impact and understanding. And what's really going on here, Ron? A lot of this is as you predicted it. But the way they're talking, isn't it a little weird that our government continues to just ring these alarm bells while claiming the other side's using false flags while they may be doing some of their own? That's kind of how this works sometimes. So what's going on now? Well, hey, uh, good morning. Uh, what is going on is that there were two columns of... Uh, of military equipment that were moved during the night into uh, Donbass. 
and there's activity up northeast of Kharkiv, which would, would suggest that there is a two-front war that's about ready to start in the Donbass region. Now, um, one could argue that this has already been an invasion, so why not impose full, full-on sanctions now rather than wait, and then suggest that uh, diplomacy is in the works? Uh, so I, the Russian parliament okayed the use of military force, quote, abroad, unquote. Where would that be? Uh, your guess is my guess. And most likely it'll be in the eastern region. There have been more cyber attacks today against the uh, Ukrainian parliament, uh, the ministers, and, and the Department of Foreign Affairs. So this all suggests, oh, and there's one other interesting report, that all of the um, separatists have been asked to turn off their cell phones uh, because that can be used to target them, uh, which suggests that something's in the works to me. Yeah, and and the the back and forth, the tit for tat, the uh, whatever it is, uh, continues to go. They say, well, we're still into diplomacy. I get the sense that the State Department might be saying that they're still working on diplomacy while tanks roll in, heaven forbid. But I, I still get this feeling that Putin Putin's trying to get his in Kiev if you're going to do diplomacy because they're part of this picture. What's that? You're, you were, uh, you're cutting out there a little bit. What was that? Yeah, I was saying then you should also keep the State Department in Kiev rather than running west at every every last threat. Right. Absolutely. And they keep coming out there and yeah, they're, they're, they're standing by their actions while, t- while saying every option is on the table even though it's not. Um, but, they're, but what they're doing but, is not but, matching their words, Ron B., right? Yeah, in, in, in a way, we're witnessing, you know, uh, this is an event between Russia and Ukraine, and we're on the, on the sidelines trying to, trying to do something. Ukraine plays a huge role in this because in their constitution it says they want to join NATO, so NATO has to be sympathetic, and so we're providing defensive weapons and, and the like. But bottom, bottom line is, is uh, this may be something between Russia and Ukraine that we cannot affect that much. I'm just watching Ned. Let's just bring up, can we bring up a little bit of Ned Pricer? I think he's taking some Q&A, and Ron, I'd like to get your sure. reaction to this, because the, the, the more they tend to talk, the more, I don't know, I feel less secure. So let's listen in. This is the State Department's <laughs> spokesperson, Ned Price, right now. Right. Those are what we've seen. Those are what we've heard. Uh, but as I just mentioned, uh, there are some things many things, in fact, uh, that Russia is poised to do at a moment's notice uh, that we have not yet seen. A large-scale invasion, an assault on urban centers, uh, the human rights abuses, the potential war crimes, the atrocities uh, that uh, we have great concern uh, could take place. Uh, These are all things that we want to prevent. So you asked the question, uh, why would we engage in diplomacy? Well, we would engage in diplomacy to save lives. We would engage in diplomacy to prevent an all-out war. Uh, This is a war that would be brutal, it would be costly, it would be, in many ways, devastating uh, for the Russian Federation, of course, for the Ukrainian people. And the way in which the Russian Federation would wage this war, you heard from the National Security Advisor, it would not be uh, a uh, type of conflict that you might imagine over territory. Uh, or over concrete ends. Uh, You heard the National Security Advisor make the case that this would be a war waged against the Ukrainian people uh, to subjugate them, to crush them, uh, to exact in many ways 
uh, revenge. Uh, this is what we want to prevent. Uh, so we are ready to engage, uh, but we need a partner. We need a negotiating uh, uh, counterpart hmm. that demonstrates seriousness of purpose. All we right, so that's that, that, that from... price State Department spokesman uh, trying to explain how we're all on top of this and yet not. I mean, there's so many contradictions in, in the middle of much of that, uh, Ron B. How would you uh, break that down? I would, I would say that this is old news that has been, they took from, you know, uh, an old sheet of paper from the last two weeks. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's nothing new in this statement that, it, in fact, uh, Biden, in his speech yesterday said that, you know, diplomacy is off, but diplomacy is on. Uh, so uh, you always keep open the door to diplomacy, no matter what's going on. So the, the, the real issue is, um, when, when does the fighting start? And I think you have, uh, more fighting that's going to start uh, very soon within this week. And is that, well, is that going to be in limited area? Will we see that in places where Putin tries to make the case that this is all, uh, you know, they, they wanted us to come in as peacekeepers in that kind of a neighborhood, or does that get ugly and move toward Kiev, the capital? Well, I think what's going to happen is they're going to accuse the Ukrainians of shelling the Russian forces, and that'll give them the okay to to go further into Donbass, which is controlled, two-thirds of it is controlled by the Ukrainians. And then um, that will also give the Russians the uh, sense that it's okay to come down from northeast of Kharkiv, which is still within Donbass, because they, they only have uh, about two and a half weeks worth of blood supplies left in their field hospitals that are there northeast of Kharkiv. So this is this is going to play out the way Putin wants it to play out. And um, basically, uh, they're not threatening any any NATO forces by being in the east. And this was designed this way. Ron B. with us, National Security Advisor and the uh the, the, the way this breaks down, I, I keep thinking back in history, I've, I've mentioned this often yesterday and today, that you go back to World War One when colossally horrible things can happen from stupid moments, sometimes with the best of yeah. intentions. Other times it can be just, you know, something happens and one side or the other or both try to spin it and they bring out their Ned prices and then all of a sudden it's, it's at a much wider worst case scenario or on the way to that situation so is there any protection against that and, and and what's putin's out does at some point does he's like the arsonist who sets a fire and then goes in and puts the fire out and says he's a hero and the world should thank him for being a, a peacemaker if he well, gets what he wants and doesn't have to fight yeah you remember the book the guns of august where folks stumbled into war in in 1914 there is that risk here too because uh how do we treat cyber attacks is a cyber attack against the united states an act of war Good question. Some would say yes. Some would say, well, let's not boots on the ground. Uh, but we're getting into this gray area that could make things expand rather ugly into, into areas that we would prefer not to be into at this moment. And meanwhile, it was 30 years ago, I think, that after the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, Ukraine gave up nuclear weapons, which if they had them now, uh, might be more helpful uh, to deter Putin. Uh, at the same time, they were promised by NATO nations, even though they're not part of NATO, which is part of the whole, you know, Putin issue, doesn't want them to be in NATO. But they said, right. hey, we'll, 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 we'll back you up. Well, now we see what's going on here. We see what happened with, with Obama and Biden back in 2014, and Putin certainly knows that. It's the same Biden, if anything. It's a weaker Biden, even though he has the top job right now. But, you know, these people, Biden's been on the wrong side of a lot of stuff. In fact, he was the no vote in the Situation Room when they were going to take out uh, uh, bin Laden. He was the one who said, no, let's not do it. 
That was stunning. So and you could say, well, that's being cautious, what have you. Is it? I don't know. But but Putin looks at all of that. So he does know his strategy, and there's a lot of ways he could win without really getting ugly, I think. I think if you were to take a poll, if it was the right move to take out bin Laden in this country, you know what the results would be. Uh, but uh, that's not the person in power now. And I think Putin did calculate uh, looking at the withdrawal in Afghanistan, looking at uh, Biden's uh, focusing uh, a lot on Build Back Better and, and vaccines and masks and things like this that he really didn't care. Uh, and so he's on his back foot at the moment. And uh, this is... You know, diplomacy, diplomacy. Take a look. The tanks are rolling in. Is there much we can do? I'm not sure, other than sanctions, which should be, according to their own own designs, full-fledged right now. Yeah. All right. Well, every minute and every picture tells a story, and it's, it's what, 2.30 Eastern time. I'm not sure what time they put a lid on the president. He's unavailable for comment. But the spokespeople are out there, and the more they talk, the more, well, at times nerve-wracking it gets. Um I want to feel like we've got the right people in charge, and I'm not feeling that at the moment here. So we'll see how that plays out. Ron B., thank you very much. Appreciate the analysis. My pleasure. All right, we'll watch how this plays out all day long. Coming up, uh, meanwhile, Gavin Newsom and his next phase of California's COVID response. The shots, the masks, the awareness, the readiness, the testing, the education, the tediousness. Okay, that's smart with some extra ones. Um, yeah, S-M-R, it was S-M-A-R-T-E. Smarte. Kevin Kiley, California Assembly member, who got preempted by Biden at this time yesterday, coming back to complete where we were talking there and some new issues as well. Next on San Diego's Talk, AM 760. So the American People's Convoy, America's People's Convoy, rolls out the tongue, gets ready to roll. 1,000 trucks, 1,000 beginning the 11-day drive from California to D.C. as of today. And if you've seen the map, it's it's quite interesting Protesting COVID mask and vaccine mandates. Uh, somebody already got a flat tire, I guess, rolling out. Uh, they've called on the federal government to end the national emergency enacted at the start of the pandemic, which Biden extended on Friday despite calls from Congress to end it. So uh, in 11 days, they're going to converge in Washington, D.C. A lot of them are going to head out uh, I-10 uh, to the north of us and all the way through Texas. They were talking about that when I was in Texas over the weekend. Uh, the convoy organizers, according to the Daily Mail, Newspapers say they do not intend to disrupt roads or bridges like they did in Canada, the, the Freedom Convoy did, but some trekkers are swearing to disrupt traffic in the nation's capital, which if, if you've been there on the Beltway, disrupts itself every day anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but of course, you're seeing the Pentagon and others, they're saying, uh-oh, here they come, because they want, and this is the way to get reported, that they're coming from places like California, and these truck drivers, they'll imply that they're all Trumpians, and it, it's going to be framed as if it's all going to be the craziest part of January 6th. You know, which we've talked about a lot. January 6th, hey, what happened there? The people who, who went way overboard, there's not any excuse for that. They are being prosecuted. But but this is – and, and I get the sense that the Biden administration is more concerned about them than Putin and Ukraine. I mean, I, I strip away the rhetoric. I mean, it's, we can't have the people rising up against this. I mean, come on. Somebody who knows what's going on on all fronts is Kevin Kiley, California Assembly member. He's a legislator fighting for sanity at our Capitol, which is which is a tall order in, in Sacramento, but appreciate what you're doing on all fronts. Uh, since the president uh, preempted you yesterday as we got on a roll here, you know, next Monday is, is Newsom's uh, announced a date to hear more guidance or probably just another date. 
about masks in schools. And, of course, here in San Diego, we had the Rancho Santa Fe board, the school board, making masks optional there for kids. And that's above and beyond what the state is saying. So they're they're going rogue. Um, do you anticipate anything more than Monday? The word will come from, like, Dr. Mark Galley as top bureaucrat that there will be a date some other time that they'll revisit it or they'll, say, take mask halfway off. Is that where that goes first? Or will they just say, all right, we're done with it on Monday? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, you'd expect uh, them to sort of do the least logical uh, thing and the most uh, sort of uh, harmful thing for kids since that has been uh, the formula uh, for at least the last two years. Um, what you have seen, as and you just give an example of it, is that, you know, districts across California, I think it's dozens of them now, many in my area here, have just said, you know, we're done with it. We're not going to do this anymore. Uh, we're not going to harm our kids needlessly. Uh, we're going to do the right thing. And so uh, that is, I think, put uh, added a new element to the equation that may uh, have an impact on what, what Newsom decides to do. Yeah, there's a really good editorial, lead editorial in the Los Angeles Daily News today, because now they're even saying, okay, we're going to relax some of these indoor mask mandates. They've been doing more than the state has uh, required in recent days. But one of the things they point out, it said how Newsom said last week, we recognize we want to turn the page on the status quo. And then they said a few days later, he unveiled his smarter plan, which showed he is not turning the page uh, even yet. And of course, that's the acronym. I'd forgotten the RX part of it. So it's uh, S for shots, masks, awareness, readiness, testing, education, RX. The testing part alone, it's like we're going to test forever, and it's not going to really tell us anything. Some people are testing so many times, the more we test, the more there will be positive cases. Aren't we past that? That's not smarter at all. So he obviously, uh, he's all over the road on this while calling it smarter. <laughs> yeah, it? I mean, at least you got to give him some credit in recognizing that really there's no place to go but up when it comes to how smart yeah. uh, his policies are. Um, but uh you know, it is uh, just another attempt uh, by him to sort of uh, prolong the pandemic mentality, prolong the state of emergency, uh, prolong the paradigm of command and control that he's tried to sort of normalize um, in our political uh, life and civil, civic society, uh, civil society. So um, it, I was not surprised at all when uh, I saw him come out with that. Other states, most of them have just moved on. Uh, we're not dealing with this stuff anymore. Citizens have been free to make their own decisions uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, it seems uh, to be fated that California will be the very last state to do that. Yeah, he wants to be the first with this kind of endemic, official endemic plan, but we're last in a lot of the areas that he's addressing. Uh, talking with Kevin Kiley, California State Assembly member. He's also running for Congress. You can find him on Twitter at uh, Kevin Kiley, which is Kevin, and then K-I-L-E-Y at Kevin Kiley, C-A. Um, one of the things that, that Newsom did, for better or worse, during the almost two years of COVID time was released a whole lot of prisoners, some of that because the feds said, yeah, you got to do that for overcrowding. Then I remember he said at one point, almost, well, I guess it would be two years ago this coming summer, where he said, ah, we got too many positive tests at San Quentin, so we'll let some of these lower-level offenders out. And then you got Prop 47 that's been there for years, putting criminals back on the streets, which mixes in with the homeless you know, the hardcore homeless and the crime rate. So that's a huge issue in itself that's come out of this. And I know you're trying to undo that, that Prop 47 aspect, aren't you? Well, absolutely. And you're right that, uh, you know, all of these things have just combined in ways that has made sort of the, uh, the, the whole of the uh, lawlessness greater than the sum of uh, its parts. 
Um, and uh, you're seeing it with, you know, uh, record homelessness, uh, rising crime rates and people just not feeling safe in their communities. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, Prop 47 is really at the root of a lot of this. It was a complete disaster from the day it w- took effect uh, in January of 2015. Um, predictably so, you know, if you make stealing uh, essentially legal, then what do you know? You're going to have a lot more stealing. So uh, I think, however, that we may have finally reached this sort of breaking point where even uh, you know, the, the radicals in our legislature uh, realize something has to be done because my bill to repeal Prop 47, you know, usually they just like to make bills they don't like go away, uh, make them vanish into thin air, don't, don't hear them, don't vote on them. This bill they've actually set for a hearing, set for a vote on March 8th. And so we're going to have a, uh, you know, committee of the assembly uh, actually take a recorded vote uh, on whether at the very, very least the people of California should be given an opportunity to reassess and reverse Prop 47. Yeah, Kevin Kiley, member of the California State Assembly, your fellow assembly person, uh, Buffy, Buffy Wicks, introduced a few days ago this bill that would require, would mandate the heavy hand of the M-word that all businesses would and must require their employees and independent contractors to receive the COVID-19 vaccine because uh, her contention was, well, the feds are loosening up a little bit on this, so there would be uh, some exemptions, but this is a huge really a giant leap she thinks forward it's backward and is way too much government power isn't it? how do you enforce that and and is that soon to die i hope in a committee someplace that that measure well i certainly hope so that's been the fate of her prior bills uh, along these lines and her attempt to uh, create a statewide vaccine passport system uh you know uh the irony is that uh, you're seeing these proposals uh, at a time that uh, you know as you say even the governor is saying uh we need to get out of a crisis mentality and by the way, if this were to pass, it wouldn't even take effect until next January. Who knows what the state of COVID-19 is going to be at that time? Who knows what variants will be out there? Who knows what uh, the, the status of, of vaccines will be? And so uh, to propose this now, this sort of sweeping thing that is, besides it being just such an affront to the most uh, you know, basic uh, of American principles, uh, it just makes zero sense uh, in terms of any sort of uh, you know, public health strategy. And that kind of goes to show you that it's not really about public health. Uh, something else is going on here. And frankly, for some, it's just become an obsession. Yeah, I, I can tell you're getting a lot of traction, especially not only in the assembly and uh, be, becoming really good pressure consistently on Newsom and those who don't want to have to explain things. You're, you're pressing for that and, and really holding them accountable. But with your congressional campaign, which is the next step. I'm just looking at some of the people when your name comes up on Twitter. Some are just taking cheap shots, which always means, as you know, you're making them nervous. So I love that because they got they got nothing. Yeah, you know, one of them here says, "Fun fact: When you Google Kevin Kiley accomplishments, nothing comes up. The very first hit is his sad little Wikipedia page. That's got a lot in it. That's from Nurse Critty Cat. Well, they're coming at you. All the establishment coming at you, apparently." So, which is a good measure of effectiveness. I think if they're not, then that, that means you got to amp it up. So. Well, sure. I mean, I did not get into uh, politics to, you know, uh, make people comfortable uh, <laughs> or to sort of uh, go along to get along. I ran to be an agent of change and to be a disruptive force in a state that needs a disruption uh, in terms of how it's run. And that the same is true of our country right now. Uh, as we see, uh, you know, what's going on in D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, is sort of following the same failed path as California, and we simply cannot allow our country to be ruined in the same way as our state. So I'm planning to fight, you know, uh, Biden and Pelosi's 
radical agenda with just as much tenacity as I fought against Newsom and the supermajority. What's the line? They're going to be there to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I think that's that's, that's a good way to just kind of poke at it. Uh, what's the uh, the website or Twitter or both for the uh, congressional campaign? Yeah, you can go to electkevinkiley.com uh, or uh, Kevin Kiley CA on Twitter. I also have a blog if you want to kind of just hear what's going on at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Uh, just search my name, Kevin Kiley blog, and it'll come right up. All right. That's where the good stuff is, as opposed to the one I mentioned from the Critty Cat critic of yours. <laughs> All right, Kevin, be safe. Keep us posted. Thanks a lot. I appreciate right. it. Thanks, Mark. Thank yeah. you. Kevin Kiley, assembly member, uh, one of the good people in Sacramento. And there are many men and women up there. It's just you don't hear from them often because the majority, uh, the majority, the real extremes in the assembly and state senate make Newsom look uh, Reagan-esque sometimes in comparison. It's just a figure of speech. Coming up in a minute, one more tribute to my buddy Bob Beckel and the story of when he knew he was going to lose. In a minute, San Diego's Talk AM 760. San Diego's Talk AM 760. Get the iHeartRadio app for free in the App Store or at 760radio.com. We also post all of our show podcasts there as well on 760radio.com and through the iHeartRadio app. Today's show, yesterday's show is up now uh, online. We had a little uh, little challenge yesterday. I think... uh, White House was jamming the, uh, the sh- I, whatever it was. We blame the Russians? Okay. Uh, is the first hour up today already? Wow. Mr. Usher at the controls. So uh, the second hour, this hour, will be up in moments after the top of the hour. San Diego's Talk AM 760. Uh, by the way, if you go over to my Twitter world, at Mark Larson Radio, M-A-R-K-L-A-R-S-O-N Radio, a lot of the things we talked about on the show and some things we didn't have time to get to today, including more on something we only touched on, this this swift payment system, which is the norm throughout uh, throughout the world, and Russia's in it too. All e-commerce transactions online use it. It's the international you know, cyber portal, if you will, that if, if the world community really wanted to stick it to Putin, you would prohibit them from doing that. It's a very compelling, very interesting piece. My, uh, my buddy Chris tipped me off to that, and that's over there on Twitter at Mark Larson Radio, so uh, I'm going to check that out. Also, more about the uh, truckers' convoy, a 1,000 trucks beginning the protest drive today from California to D.C., and I think the Biden administration is more concerned about that than maybe about Putin sometimes. Well, we'll just see how that how that plays out. So we have that, and uh, there is also the, uh, the editorial I mentioned a little bit ago here from the Daily News in Los Angeles, where they're taking Newsom to task about his so-called smarter program is Newsom must be smarter than smarter when it comes to getting to real-world concerns as the uh, endemic phase moves into play. So there's that. Uh, Bob Beckel, I'm going to just mention one other anecdotal uh, thing here that, that he wrote about in his book, I Should Be Dead, which the subtitle was I Should Be Dead, my life surviving politics, TV, and addiction. Very uh, forthcoming about uh, his substance abuse and you know the battle against alcohol because he was really into it. And how I mentioned this earlier on the show, unbeknownst to a lot of people, he would be out in the dead of night helping somebody else not end up like he did. He would go out and just personally do this to help uh, the cause, if you will. Didn't make a big deal about it. He wrote about it in his book just as a lesson to people. And they also wrote about uh, his uh, coming to a strong faith in God. So there's a, and, and you know, Bob was still rough around the edges. He didn't clean up his vocabulary. We always did watch him when he was on the show here. You know, that was always a, a challenge. And I would often mention that reminding the audience that he ran Walter Bondale's campaign, the youngest campaign manager at the time, into the ground 
and he would normally say, ah, oh, that's really good. You know, you, you, it took you six minutes to say that this time. Sometimes I hit it right in the open, and it became, uh, you know, the little bit that we'd have fun about. And then needing to buy each other big, fat, expensive dinners whenever we saw each other. He owed me, I think, I did calculations, I think three dinners. And he had admitted last time he was on a few weeks ago that he'd pay off. But he got the last laugh on that, and I'm sure he's sharing that with God. So his book, I Should Be Dead, is worth getting, if you can, on Amazon, uh, wherever. He's writing about Where's the Beef, the Mondale Campaign, and, and this is a story that I love. Here's how he wrote it, and it's absolutely true, of course. One morning in the fall of the campaign, I woke up and turned on the television. There was a beautiful ad plane that looked like it was the Summer's Olympics that year. It had been held in Los Angeles that year, you know, 1984, and it generated an enormous groundswell of national pride across the country. And Bob Beckel writes, the ad that he saw started out in this quiet rural area, and you saw a farmer and his kids standing up on a hill looking way down the road. And in the distance, you could see police lights flashing in slow motion, and you knew immediately Ah, this was the Olympic torch being run to California. It was so beautiful. The music was great. The thing was mesmerizing. The flag started to wave without even thinking about it. He said, I, I, I stood up and, and without even thinking about it, I stood up and put my hand over my heart watching that convoy go by. And, and so he's there. He's there standing there in his boxer shorts in his hotel room, moved by this Olympic thing. And hand over his heart, watching the convoy, and then suddenly on the screen, the words come up, it's morning in America, Reagan for president. And Bob said, oh, bleep. And he didn't say bleep. He said to his empty hotel room, that was the theme the Reagan campaign had come up with. It's, the economy was bouncing back. Things were looking rosy. It was morning in America. And he writes, and here I was standing up, saluting this blanking television commercial for my opponent. I fell back on my bed and just about cried. And the rest is history. Um, and he also knew that when there was that debate with Mondale, the first debate, Reagan and Mondale, Reagan was looking, uh, was looking tired, not up to the game. Mondale was younger, although not really that much younger. They were trying to make a big deal about Reagan's age at that point because he was in his 70s. And when one of the panelists on the stage said, well, you think you're too old? And then Reagan had a line already. He said, well, I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not looking to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. And even Mondale after that, and, and Bob writes in the book, boom, there it was, another iconic moment for the history books. Let's, this time we're on the receiving end. That alone is worth reading. The personal stories are really powerful, and it's a great tribute if you can get a hold of that. I Should Be Dead. That's the book by Bob Beckel, who now this past. Love the guy. Great stuff. San Diego's Talk, AM 760.